Hey, it's Thursday, September 8th, 2022. And this is the M News Now, bringing you the latest news from the cannabis industry. So get ready. The U.S. Department of Transportation, along with the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration, have published a proposed draft of their medical examiner's handbook. And because hemp, which is cannabis containing less than 0.3% THC, was federally legalized under the 2018 Farm Bill, the new proposed guides say that the use of CBD with less than 0.3% THC would no longer be automatically disqualifying for drivers. The new draft of the guidebook proposes that each driver should be evaluated on a case-by-case basis, and they encourage the medical examiners to consider any additional relevant health information or evaluations. But they emphasize that the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, which is the branch that oversees hemp-derived CBD regulation, does not currently monitor or certify the levels of THC in products that contain CBD. So, there is no federal oversight to ensure that THC levels in hemp-derived CBD products are accurate. Therefore, drivers who use these products are still doing so at their own risk. The National Center for Complementary and Integrative Health, which falls under the National Institutes on Health, recently published a request for information from the scientific community on the interest in and barriers to research on the health effects of cannabis and its constituents. The published notice acknowledged that cannabis has been used medicinally for over 3,000 years. And recently, there's been a growing interest from healthcare providers and the public in the potential medicinal properties of cannabis-related products. So the National Center for Complementary and Integrative Health's director, Helen Langevin, said that so far, most of the federally funded research on cannabis has been narrowly focused on the potential harms of THC. And it's important to gain a more holistic scientific understanding of potential benefits She pointed out that some of the biggest barriers to this have been that some researchers may not know how to navigate the process of securing a Schedule I license, and others might be hindered by the lack of broadly accepted measures for what constitutes a dose or modes of administration. And therefore, it's imperative that they identify barriers to conducting research and subsequently develop approaches that can help them overcome them. The head of the National Institute on Drug Abuse said that she personally avoids studying Schedule I substances because of those bureaucratic challenges. Langevin added, It's time to chart a path forward, one that can lead to new understanding and reveal potential novel applications for these complex compounds. California Governor Gavin Newsom's been signing a few cannabis measures this past week. One of those is Assembly Bill 1954, which clarifies that physicians cannot be penalized for treating patients who test positive for cannabis. That new law also specifies that a positive drug test for cannabis cannot be the sole basis for denying medical treatment. Another bill he just signed amends an existing law that allows registered patients to use medical cannabis products in hospitals. And a third bill Governor Newsom signed into law is regarding cannabis and child welfare laws. That new legislation requires social workers who are called to investigate child welfare to treat parental cannabis use in the same manner that they do for alcohol. The sponsor of that bill, Assemblymember and Democrat Reggie Jones-Sawyer, said, Cannabis use alone should not be a basis for state intervention into family life. Parents and guardians should be allowed to safely and legally use cannabis without fear of having their children permanently removed from their care, provided there are no other concerns regarding the child's safety. Still on the governor's desk, though, and waiting for his approval, is Measure AB 2188, which is the highly anticipated legislation that would provide job protections for people who use cannabis outside of work. 
This would be done by prohibiting employers from basing employment decisions on tests for non-psychoactive cannabis metabolites found in urine, hair, or blood. Governor Newsom has until the end of September. He can either sign it into law, veto it, or if he takes no action, the measure will automatically pass into law on October 1st. Once passed, the law will take effect on January 1st, 2024. Verano Holdings Corp. has just closed its transaction to acquire all of the equity interest of another Nevada-based cannabis operator. This acquisition increases Verano's vertically integrated Nevada operations to five active dispensaries and two cultivation and production facilities across Nevada. George Archos, who's the Verano founder and CEO, spoke about why they were excited for the Nevada market. He said, Gaining a presence in Reno and Carson City provides Verano with comprehensive retail and distribution opportunities in northern Nevada that complement our current operations in the Las Vegas area. With a growing population, booming tourism, and an abundance of natural beauty, we look forward to a bright future in the great state of Nevada. Washington, D.C.'s Mayor Muriel Bowser has already signed a bill that bans most workplaces from firing or otherwise punishing employees for marijuana use. But prior to this, people had been fired, and this week a Washington, D.C. court ruled to reverse a past termination of a government employee over cannabis. This situation stemmed from a 2020 incident where a government employee was fired after being suspected of cannabis intoxication on the job, because she had red eyes and was talking quietly. Supervisors then made her take a drug test where she tested positive for cannabis metabolites. The employee petitioned the termination arguing that her eyes might have appeared red because she'd received almost no sleep after being informed of her brother's hospitalization. She said she was tired but stable enough to perform the job. She further provided proof that she was a registered medical cannabis patient. She stated that she hadn't used cannabis on the day of the drug test, but she'd consumed recently enough while away from work that the THC metabolites would still be detectable. After hearing the case, the Washington, D.C. Office of Employee Appeals ruled in favor of the employee. The judge wrote in the ruling, Because employee was allowed to perform her duties and did in fact adequately do so after being observed by her supervisors, I find that the supervisors did not reasonably believe that the employee's ability to perform her job was impaired. As such, I further conclude that a reasonable suspicion referral was unwarranted. The employer told the court that the reasonable suspicion referral was legitimate, whether the alleged impairment was due to drug use or sleep deprivation. That employer is now required to reimburse the worker for all back pay since the original termination, as well as benefits she missed out on because of that action. Recreational cannabis sales began in Michigan in December of 2019, but the city of Detroit didn't introduce its ordinance to allow recreational cannabis until November of 2020. Detroit set August 1st of 2022 as the date when the first round of recreational cannabis license applications would begin being accepted. However, two lawsuits filed in Michigan earlier in the year challenged the city's recreational ordinance and held up the application process. Those lawsuits have now been ruled on, and the city can proceed with recreational cannabis license applications. Businesses can now apply for cannabis business licenses for dispensaries, micro-businesses, or consumption lounges in Detroit. Detroit's mayor, Mike Dugan, spoke at a press conference and said that social equity would be a priority. Councilman James Tate said, I'm excited that we're on the verge of having Detroiters and other equity applicants having a fair process that will allow them to participate in this multi-million dollar industry. It's complicated, it's challenging, but it's now possible, and that's the beauty of this fight.
the city will be issuing an eventual total of 160 licenses for dispensaries, micro-businesses, and consumption lounges. Singapore's first and only Olympic gold medalist, 27-year-old swimmer Joseph Schooling, has admitted to consuming cannabis while training and competing in Vietnam. CNN reported that, in a personal statement, Schooling said, I made a mistake and I'm responsible for what I've done. I demonstrated bad judgment and I'm sorry. Singapore has some of the strictest cannabis laws in the world. Their laws against cannabis consumption apply to its citizens even when they're out of the country. Convictions of cannabis possession allow for punishments up to 10 years in prison and fines of up to 20,000 Singapore dollars, which is a little over 14,000 U.S. Trafficking, importing, or exporting 1.1 pounds or more could cost you the death penalty. Just this summer, Singapore has executed several people for cannabis. Vietnam, where schooling said the cannabis consumption took place, also has strict laws on possession and use of drugs, with punishments ranging up to the death penalty. Joseph Schooling first shot to fame in 2016 as a 22-year-old at the Rio Summer Olympics when he defeated the U.S. swimming legend Michael Phelps in the 100-meter butterfly, and he became his country's first Olympic champion. Singapore's defense ministry said on Tuesday that it had issued a formal letter of warning to Schooling, which said, Those who are suspected of or confessed to abusing drugs will be placed on supervised urine test regimes, and that anyone who tests positive during this time will be charged and sentenced accordingly. The Central Narcotics Bureau in Singapore said that so far, their first test of schooling's urine for controlled drugs have returned negative. Schooling had been on leave from mandatory military service so that he could train. The Singapore government said that he will no longer be given leave from military service to train or compete. His service is expected to last until 2024, which means that he will not likely be able to compete in next year's World Aquatics Championships, the Asian Games, or Southeast Asian Games. Sport Singapore and the Singapore Swimming Association said that they will review the facts of the case and determine appropriate steps to take. That's all you need to know for today. Be sure to keep listening for the latest updates and follow us on themnewsnow.com. Later.